What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Again, I'm always grateful for you guys when you take the time to listen in. Um, Today is a little different. I had a guest speaker yesterday on Sunday, so I uh, didn't put together something for Sunday like I normally did. So today I kind of dug through my archives a bit, pulled something out, actually a passage that I love to talk about where Jesus interacts with chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, Herodians. Um, And it's uh, Luke chapter 20. And in this chapter, there's three different instances in this chapter where people are challenging the authority of Jesus, which, you know, when you think about it, I suppose it's not unreasonable for them to do when someone is claiming to be the son of God. But we're going to read from Luke chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 20 through 26, and then we're going to talk about them. Um, Well, let's just go ahead and read Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26. It says, they watched him and sent out spies who pretended to be righteous men that they might seize him in his words to hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and you do not show partiality, but you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Verse 23 says, he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius whose image and superscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They could not catch him in his words before the people and they marveled at his answer and were silent. Now this, as I said, this is one of my favorite passages to talk about. Um, I've been, I've preached this many, many times in the past. Um, I think that's probably one of the reasons I enjoy it. It's one of the first passages I read and looked at and and kind of learned that there was more to it. There was deeper stuff there than just what was on the surface. And that kind of set me on a journey. Um, This passage involves money. And often when it's read, uh, that's what people think about is money because Jesus happens to uh, to mention it. You know, we're supposed to pay taxes and give money to our church and things like that. But in this passage, Jesus uh, uses money as, as kind of a, a sideline object lesson. It really doesn't have much to do with what this passage is about. Um, it's really just something that was handy at the time to teach the lesson he wanted to teach. And all three of the interactions Jesus has in this chapter are about his authority. In the first part of this chapter, some people ask him about his authority to teach. And then the second part, um, Jesus uses a parable about a vineyard and the workers to talk about how people reject his authority. And in the part that we just read, there are some people who are challenging Jesus's authority in such a way as to get rid of him, to conspire against him. And Jesus uh, is asked what seems to be a fairly simple and innocent question. Should we pay tax to Caesar? Um, 
the the Pharisees, the Herodians, they come to Jesus and they ask him, should we pay tax to Caesar? And that's really a question, I suppose, of of, of authority as well. How far does the authority of secular, secular government reach? You know, where does it come up against scripture? How do those things compare? You know, when do we obey? When do we not obey? There's a lot to that that could be discussed. Should I pay taxes? Should I follow laws that I don't agree with sometimes? Things like that. Um, and you could also extend, extend that clear out to how much authority do traditional systems and institutions have in our culture? How should Christians interact with those institutions, systems, according to what Jesus says? And this is a very relevant question for many people in the world. You know, over the past few years, people have been upset about a lot of stuff, how government has handled things. We can see uh, a lot of uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Almost a disdain for traditional systems and institutions and how they operate. And, you know, some of that is legitimate, some of it's not, but that's really not what we're digging into today. But this question, just the fact is, it goes a lot deeper than a simple, should we pay taxes to the government kind of question? Or should we give money to our church or you know, simple things like that, or should we rebel against traditional institutions? To understand what's happening here, we need to kind of get our head around, get an idea of the people who are involved. There are the Pharisees, there are the Herodians, and there is Jesus. And there's a parallel passage in Mark that specifically mentions the Pharisees and the Herodians. And we need to know that to understand this passage um, throughout these different interactions with Jesus, that these people who are coming to him, his opponents are very, very frustrated with him. Um, Jesus is making you know what they see to be wild claims to be the son of God. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing people. He's doing all kinds of crazy things. He's being very disruptive to the current religious system as well, which was very upsetting for some people. And he has also offended some of these people earlier in the chapter uh, with the parable of the vineyard owner and talking about the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And now how that cornerstone is going to you know, crush the ones who rejected it. And Jesus knew who he was talking about. And the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they also knew he was talking about them and they were angry and they wanted to do something about it. This is kind of the New Testament version of cancel culture that we see happening on the internet a lot these days. But the problem for his opponents is um, Jesus is very wise and said things in such a way that they you know, knew who he was talking about, but he didn't actually say who he was talking about. So they were kind of in a difficult place trying to figure out what to do about him. Um, he didn't actually name any names. And he was very popular with people. Obviously, he fed people. He healed people who wouldn't be popular, who was able to do that. And the religious leaders, because of his popularity with the general public, were afraid of what might happen if they were to do something and have Jesus arrested. And in verse 20 
of this passage. They're, they're trying to work out a solution to get rid of Jesus is what they're trying to do. But in verse 20, Jesus is approached by some Pharisees and some Herodians, and they ask him a question, just a simple, what seemingly innocuous question, although we know better. And they ask him, should we pay taxes? Like I say, this passage isn't really about money. It's a question of authority. It's a question about the authority of Jesus and the authority of secular government. We can apply that to systems of government, institutions, all these different things that hold authority in culture. And when it comes to the Pharisees and Herodians as two different groups, you know, political, religious, uh, they would have shared similar culture, but other than that, they were very different. It would have been very challenging to find anything they agreed on. These two groups that come to Jesus to question him, they, yeah, they wouldn't have agreed on much of anything. It would be similar to a uh, crowd of social justice warriors and Trump supporters coming together to support the same cause. It's pretty, pretty unlikely that that would happen. But here they are today, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they're approaching Jesus together with a newfound affection for each other, you know, for some reason. And the question they have for Jesus is, should we pay taxes to the Roman government? Or more specifically, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, the thing about this is this is a highly controversial, emotionally charged topic. Um, It's just a powder keg. And the Pharisees hate the Roman government. They're very traditional. Um, They're very conservative people. They're very much into the Old Testament law. They see the Roman Empire as oppressors, who's oppressing the Jewish people, who are oppressing God's people. They are religious leaders. They have a lot of influence with the people. Like I say, they're dedicated to the Old Testament. And they're very loyal to their Jewish heritage. And Pharisees believe the Jews are God's chosen people and the Romans are unclean Gentiles and they should not have authority over them. They shouldn't oppress them. But at the same time, you know, they were still corrupt and hypocritical and Jesus had pointed that out in the past and that's part of the reason why they hated him. And they also hated the Roman government and they believed it was against their belief system against Old Testament law to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. They, like I say, they were conservative. Uh, they believed they held holy to the truths of Scripture, even though that wasn't really true. And, you know, many people are like that. They, they kind of force personal conviction on Scripture instead of Scripture shaping personal conviction. Now, the Herodians, on the other hand, They're also part of this interaction with Jesus, but they're the opposite in that respect. They actually support the Roman government. Um, They supported the Roman emperor and his deputy, Herod, um, hence the name Herodians, kind of like a name for a political party almost. But Herodians believed life would be better if Jewish people accepted Roman rule and paid taxes to Caesar. And so the Pharisees and the Herodians were very different in their political views, in their views on tradition and culture. Well, their you know their their history and things like that. Um, 
the Herodians just wouldn't have put as much stock in that stuff. They just believed they should get along with the Romans and that's just how life was and how things should be. Now, at any other time, they would have been very much opposed to each other. They would, you know, if there were had Twitter accounts, they would have been in a constant Twitter fight with each other. But in this case, they found something that they had in common. They both wanted to get rid of Jesus. So they go to Jesus trying to look as innocent as possible. And remember, all this stuff is premeditated. They plan this out. They're trying to catch Jesus uh, in his words. And they have come up with a plan and they believe they have a question that no matter how Jesus answers it, how he responds to it, that they're going to be able to trap him in his words. And of course, they pick something that they knew was super controversial and emotionally charged and just a powder keg uh, waiting to go off. And they're going to ask Jesus, is it lawful for the Jewish people to pay taxes to Caesar? Remember, this isn't really about taxes. This is about authority. Who has what authority? Just a simple yes or no question. Should we pay tax to Caesar? And the plan is, if he answers yes, Jesus, um, if he does say people should, the Jewish people should pay tax to Caesar, then the Pharisees will turn the Jewish people against him because they have a lot of sway with the Jewish people. And the Pharisees will tell everyone, Jesus says you should be paying taxes to your Roman oppressors. And they have the authority to sway people like that and turn people against him. And so that's their plan. The Pharisees say, well, if Jesus answers, yes, we should pay tax to Caesar, what we'll do is we'll tell the people, we'll round them up against him, and then we'll get rid of him. Now, if he answers, no, you shouldn't pay tax to Caesar, in that case, the Herodians will bring the Roman authorities against him because they'll say, well, you've got this rebel out here who's telling people they shouldn't pay tax to the Roman Empire. And so then they'll have the Roman authorities on their side. So they think they've got him either way. And one of the things I find really interesting, and this is kind of a side note, is how the Pharisees who hate the authority of the Roman Empire are okay with that authority as long as it suits their own purpose. As long as they can leverage it for what they want, in this case, to get rid of Jesus, well, I guess it's okay for this. And then the Herodians, on the other hand, who believe Jewish people should submit to the Roman Empire, in this case, are okay with Jewish people kind of taking in their matters into their own hands to get rid of Jesus. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of the way we are as people. You know, this, a lot of this stuff in the New Testament, you can see it just as clear as day in our world today. It's nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years. You know, we're okay with authority as long as it serves our purpose and does what we want. But if that's the only time we're supportive of authority and institutions, et cetera, we're really not supportive at all. But both of these groups, groups know... <laughs> they have to go about this carefully. They have to set the stage first. They want to hide their hypocrisy from Jesus so they can catch him unaware. And that's what they try to do in verses 20 and 21. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we have an issue. We don't know what to do about it. Um, We know that you teach God's truth and you are not influenced by other people. So you can give us a correct and unbiased answer. We know that you're going to help us out. You're going to fix us up with this and, you know, not knowing who he really is um, and thinking he's like they are. And so they try to play to his ego 
Uh, but Jesus knows they're not being honest with him. He knows what they're up to. And so they asked Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus answers with, why do you test me? In the book of Mark, he calls them hypocrites. And you can almost hear him sigh when he says this. Why are you so consumed with a temporary political system and a temporary world system when you could set your heart and mind on my kingdom? You know, what, what a shame. Jesus says, to answer their question, he doesn't, he doesn't answer it with a yes or no. He says, bring me a denarius. In Matthew twenty two nineteen. he says, bring me the tax money. This is very important to understanding what this passage is about. If we don't see what Jesus is doing here, we'll miss the point. Jesus asked specifically for a denarius. Now, denarius is the currency used to pay tax to Rome. It's Roman currency. It's Roman money. And that's specifically what Jesus asked for, Roman money. Now, religious offerings, um, money that went to the temple, that's paid in Jewish shekels or Jewish currency. So we were talking about that's a different kind of currency used to do that. Jesus specifically asked for a denarius because he wants to teach a specific lesson. Someone, you know, obviously pulls out a denarius, gives it to Jesus. He takes his coin, he holds it up, he looks at it holds it up for people to see, and he asked whose image and superscription is on this coin? You know, whose picture is on this? Whose name is on this coin? And just like most modern money that we have now, it's got somebody's picture on it. It's got some kind of, you know, wording on it. And this denarius has Caesar's picture on it, and it has his name on it. So when Jesus asks whose name and picture is on this coin, they answer, well, that's easy, of course. It's Caesar. Everybody knows that. This was Caesar's coin. It was used to pay tribute to Rome. It was also uh, a tribute to Caesar himself because it does. It's got his picture on it. And people carried around. They would do business with this money. But it belonged to Caesar, ultimately. And he could use it for whatever he wanted to. He could use it to build his empire. He could use it to build roads. He could... I don't know, spend it on whatever he felt like, whatever he decided he wanted to do with it. But after Jesus asked, you know, whose whose picture and name is on this coin and people answer Caesar, Jesus says, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And it has his picture on it. It's got his name on it. It's obviously his, just give it back to him. And, you know, when you were a kid, did you ever sit down and someone says, hey, you're in my seat. And then you answer with something like, does it have your name on it? And in this case, this coin, Caesar could say, yeah, that's mine. It's got my name on it. It's got my picture on it. And Jesus simply says, well, it's his, obviously. Give it back to him. But then Jesus says, he adds to this and to God the things that are God's. And therein lies the whole point of the passage. It's not about money, it's about authority. Remember he asked whose picture and whose name is on this coin? And people answer, well, it's it's Caesar's. And Jesus says, give it back to him. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And he also says, unto God, what is God? So the coin bears Caesar's image. And he's saying, 
the things that bear God's image should be given back to him. So there you go. Jesus is saying it is a simple, basic expectation that what belongs to Caesar should be given back to Caesar. Whatever belongs to God should be given back to God. So, then we're left with the question, what is it that he's talking about when he says, render unto God what is his? What is it that has God's picture on it? Like the coin, what is it that bears his image? And we find out what that is in the very first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verses 26 says that God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, created he created him, male and female, he created them. So there's the answer to the question. What is it that bears God's image? It's you and me. God created us in his image. So to answer their question, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is his or give to Caesar what is his and give yourself to God. And this passage is not about what belongs to God, but who belongs to God. And Jesus is speaking as he often did to religious people and you see it all through his ministry that no one really understood. Well, most of the time, no one really understood who he was until after he was resurrected. Then everybody kind of started to get it. And now we live in a time that is post-resurrection and we understand who Jesus is. Christians know Jesus is the son of God, resurrected. And the people at the time were mostly looking for a political savior. They were hoping that the savior that was prophesied about in the Old Testament would be a king and cast off foreign rule. And they wanted, they thought this was going to be a king who was going to come in and cast off Roman oppressors, at least at this time in history. And they were looking for someone who was going to come in and set up an earthly kingdom and make Israel a great nation. And when you read about the ministry of Jesus and you really look at it, you can see that a large part of what Jesus teaches is directing people away from that short-term worldly mindset of the kingdom of this world and getting people to turn their eyes toward God, the Father in heaven. And that's been a struggle for people since there have been people around to be called God's people. And the struggle to take on an eternal mindset. I'm always amazed by how much people don't change. You know, I read about things that went on in the Bible and I'm like, people are exactly the same. And we sell Jesus short when we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, overly concerned and controlled by what happens in the world. When Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, he's saying, you know, I, he's saying to the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, I know you're being hypocritical. And in light of eternity, your question is inconsequential. 
that that part is I, I almost read it like a brush off but that's that's just me and he says give god what is his and that left them speechless and something we must do as christians to get through day-to-day life as obedient followers of jesus is to embrace an eternal mindset put into perspective what is happening right now with the magnitude of eternity and think about how much is what happens today going to matter in eternity. And for the most part, a lot of it is completely inconsequential. Now, one way we can take on that eternal mindset is by doing what Jesus says in this passage, return to God what is his. Give God yourself. Give Jesus authority in your life and make that decision daily. Every person bears the image of God. Every person who has ever lived is created in the image of God, which is pretty cool to think about. But we also need to be restored to him. We need to return to him. And, you know, if you already know Jesus is your savior and you are his follower, Jesus is reminding you and me in this passage that we need to be rendering ourselves to God. We need to return to him. We all wander off. We do our own thing. We follow our own wisdom. We serve our own temporary worldly kingdom. We all do those things at times and we need to return to God and get ourselves back on track. And if you're hearing all of this for the first time that you need to be restored to God, that can be really challenging to hear at first. Everyone struggles with the idea of giving God authority in their life. Most people don't like the word authority. We really struggle with it. We just have a rebellious nature. I mean, we rebel against God. We rebel against the government. We rebel against everything. We just have a rebellious nature. And we don't like the word authority, but that's because when we hear the word authority, we think of the things that we don't like, you know, maybe government things that we don't like or institutions we don't like that have authority that have, haven't handled that authority well. And we don't feel like we can trust those, um, maybe people or systems or whatever that have authority, but that's not God. God's different than that. He's different from those things because he's motivated my love for you. And he doesn't need anything. I mean, there's, he, he has everything. There's nothing for him to gain except you. And you might say, well, I'm a good person. What do you, what do you mean? I need to be restored to God. And that's, that's what the whole Bible is about. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and God created us in his image and Adam and Eve and the garden rebelled against God and that perfect relationship with God that they had was, you know, that they once enjoyed was destroyed because they rebelled against God. Something as simple as doing something God told them not to do. It seems inconsequential, but that's really the fact of what sin is. It's, it's falling short of the standard God set. And the rest of the Bible is about God restoring that relationship that was destroyed in the garden. And man's sin, Jesus paid the price for that sin. He did that on the cross. And if we repent, put our faith and our trust in him as our savior, we are restored to God. We can be restored to God. 
And when we start to seriously look at rendering ourselves to God, you know, in our purpose, in our will, we, we struggle with that. We, we have a hard time with it. Um, we have a hard time recognizing that we belong to him in the first place. We struggle with authority. But Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the people who made up the church at Corinth, who were struggling with that same thing. And he said to them, he says, what do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. You know, whether we recognize that or not, it's the case either way. So it becomes less of a matter of giving over, you know, our purpose, our will, our life to God, more a matter of just realizing that we're just going back to where we belong, to returning to where we belong, to turning what, returning to what was always right and good in the first place. In the last few words of our passage that we read today say they could not catch him in his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer and were silent. For the Pharisees and the Herodians in trying to trap Jesus in his words, things didn't go as planned for them. But they were impressed by what Jesus had to say. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to respond. They were left speechless. And, you know, they had seen Jesus heal sick people, cause lame people to walk. They heard him teach. They just had this interaction with him. They had a couple just before this, but they still rejected him. And I think the main reason for that is that because they just didn't want to look beyond what they had at the moment. They were so wrapped up in the world, so concerned about what they had, where they were, their own authority, that they just couldn't give Jesus authority in their life. Instead of returning to God, what rightfully belonged to him anyway, they decided to keep it for themselves. And something about God that I think is so very powerful is that he will allow you to do that. He'll allow you to try to keep your own life to try to keep your own soul. God doesn't force you to give him what is his. He'll let you try to hang on to it. Now, Caesar, on the other hand, that's a different story. You're going to end up paying taxes. He didn't give you a choice. But Jesus is simply saying in this passage, give to God what already belongs to him anyway, yourself. And if you're struggling with that, ask yourself, what am I afraid of losing? Why am I struggling with this? What am I afraid of losing that is keeping me from admitting I'm made in God in God's image? I'm sinful. I've rebelled against him. So I need a savior in Jesus. Think about it. What is it that causes that? Or even if you're a saved believer, what is it that causes you to, you know, wander away from God? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it apathy? It could be any one of those things. I don't know what it is for you. What is keeping you from returning to God? What you already knows, what you already know belongs to him anyway. What is keeping you from returning to God? What you know already belongs to him anyway. Maybe now is the day you decide to return to God. What is his? Yourself. And I would encourage you to do that. Return to God. What is his? 
you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We live in the world. We work and act in the world. We, we take our part in the world. We do what we can to help people. But ultimately, we need to take on an eternal mindset and render ourselves, give ourselves to God and allow Jesus' authority in our lives. Thanks for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. Oh, that's good.